Well, it is great to be together, and it's great to have the children here because the parents behave better. So, I know you, I know you kids, you're thinking, oh, we, it's about us behaving. No, when you're here, the parents have to actually behave better. So, it's, it's a good thing. But uh, for the children who are here, welcome. Something we've been doing with the adults over the last few weeks is a series called The Names of God. And names are important, right? Because like, I know this for sure, children, right? If you hear your middle name, you know you're in trouble, right? Yeah, I always knew it. It's like, Derek, Derek, Derek. Derek Cordell, yes. Right? So you know middle names. But then you have nicknames, right? Like, well, what are some of the nicknames? Kids, what are some of the nicknames your parents give you? Yeah, what's your nickname? Jazzy. I, I think you live up to that name, man. She, this girl like dances like 24-7, man. She's jazzy. Okay, yeah, what's your nickname? Nice. Very nice. That, that just sounds like holy right there. Like I can't, I can't make a comment on that. That's just a cool name. Right, what's some other kids' nicknames? Yeah, what's your nickname? Jezeru? Jesaru. Okay, I have no idea what that means, but I'm sure there's meaning behind it. Okay, any others? Any others want to share their nicknames? We'll even get some adult nicknames here. Yes, so they used to call me Buggy. Yeah, they still call you Buggy. They used to. They used to. So I hear it every once in a while. They still call you it. Behind your back. Behind your back, they say it. Yeah, what's one of your nicknames? Uh, well, I was a kid, they called me Allie. Allie. And what's your actual name? Alicia. Alicia. So it's kind of play off it. Yeah, okay. We like that. Uh huh. My nickname is Lala, and Joe's nickname is Duncan. Oh! Nice. Wow! <laughs> I was about to say something, but I just knew it would probably be better not to. I'll just, like, we'll leave it at that. Those are some interesting nicknames. Yeah, what's your nickname? Grace. Grace? That's issue. That is your name. Yes. That's your nickname, too? Yeah. Hey, that's Hey, that makes it easier for the parents. They only have to remember one name. That's a... Tulips. Tulips. I can believe that. I can believe that. Uh Uh-huh. All right, so my real name is Nicholas, but my nickname is Nick. Nick. Yep, yeah. So a lot of names are like that. Russians are like that. They have like three names for the same name. It's like very similar. Anyone else want to risk it? Give us a nickname. Yeah, way back there. What's that? Slam Jam. Slam Jam. Slam Jam. Both work. All right. There we go. Yes, we got one over here. <laughs> oh no! Oh, I thought you were saying your own nickname. Oh, okay. Trouble. Wow. Hey, well, you, you're in a long line of great prophets that were called troubles, like Elijah was considered a troublemaker. So there you go, man. There you go. But as you see, guys, names have meaning. Now, if we don't know the name, like if I don't know what Jazzy means, I'm like, what's Jazzy? Like, why do they call you Jazzy? But if you know what's behind the name, now the name has meaning. Same as, and I know there's, there's meaning behind your name. We won't get into it right now, but I know there's meaning there. But that's the same with God's names. And so the name that we're going to talk about today is a unique name, just like Elroy. Or Jehovah Nisi, which I just talked about at the Congregational. It's a name that only occurs once in the Bible. It's Jehovah Shammah. Okay? And though it only occurs once, as we've learned, that name is there for a reason, in a particular context, to give us an other aspect or characteristic or description of God. And so though the name only occurs once, the description or characteristic of God 
is throughout the Bible. So the actual Hebrew, as you can see here, this is the Hebrew, the way you pronounce it is Jehovah Shama. So the, the accent's on the first part, Shama, Shama. And what this means is the Lord is there. But it's more exciting than that, and we'll get to that in a minute. Another aspect of defining it is, the Lord is my companion. Now, how does this name apply to us? Because obviously it was written, it's in the Old Testament, it's not in the New Testament. Although, is it? We'll find out a little bit later. But what this name basically means is that God's presence is not limited or contained in the tabernacle, the temple, or even this establishment. He's accessible to all who love and obey Him. So before we look at the actual context of the name, I'd rather examine a passage that really describes the characteristics of Jehovah Shammah, the Lord being there. As we're going to turn to a psalm, Psalm 46, and whenever you read the Scriptures, it's good to understand that the Bible was not written in a vacuum. Okay, it was written within a certain time, a certain time frame, even within a certain worldview, or even within a certain literal or rhetorical type of understanding. For example, most of the New Testament was written in what kind of literary writing? Greek rhetorical writing, right? Old Testament was more of an Aramaic or Hebrew writing, poetry and things like that. So the psalm was written as poetry. And like every poetry, whether it's God-based or not, has structure to it. Now, there's a common refrain. A good poem has a common phrase that continuously repeats. It's building through the poem to leave this emphasis. And the common refrain in this passage is, God is my refuge. Now, how important do you think that is for people in the Gulf Coast? Or for Florida right now? If there's anything people are seeking right now, it's not their bank account. It's, it's not the new TV, it's refuge. I, I want to be somewhere safe. Because the reality is, guys, God is God, but He doesn't prevent storms from happening. He's in control, and He allows things to happen. The key is, where do we go for our refuge? The psalm is divided into three strophes. That's the actual literal or rhetorical structure. So we're going to look at the first strophe, Psalm 46, verse 1 through 3. God, in Hebrew here for God is Elohim, is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, like it did in Mexico here recently, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, like Gulf Coast and Florida right now, and the mountains quake with their surging. So what do we hear about God here? That even with cosmic disorder, because these these are not normal disorders. What's going on right now is not a normal hurricane. It's something beyond our control. If a mountain were to jump into a sea, we go, okay, that's a big deal. This is cosmic. But what he's saying, that even with cosmic disorder, God isn't. God is there. Jehovah Shammah is there. Even in if order becomes disorder... God is still there. Look at the three nouns used to describe God, even in cosmic disorder. Number one, refuge. That's a place of safety even within a storm. You don't need a refuge if you have no storm. 
So what that tells us is that God already is explaining up front, guys, there will be storms. The point is, do you have a refuge? Do you have a safe place to go? To weather it out? To endure? To survive for another day? He's our refuge. Then it says He's our strength. And that's what people are going to need right now is strength. To endure, to overcome, to rebuild. And we may need to be that strength for them. But I love this third attribute. Ever-present help. Now we go, hmm. But the reality is we don't always believe it. In fact, it's in the middle of the storm we believe it the least. It's in the middle of the storm we go, God, where are you? You helped me then, but you're not helping me now. Then the problem is not God, it's us. Because the Bible says He's an ever-present help. It means He was there in your past, He's in your present, and He's actually even in your future. Amen. He's ever-present. Maybe the problem is that we don't see it because we try to help ourselves. Right. He's an ever-present help, even with cosmic disorder. So let's move on to strophe 2, verse 4 through 7. There is a river. Now remember, this is a, a, po- a poetry. It's building on the first image. The first image was raging water like we're seeing. And now it shifts. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So there's the one option, the rivers that destroy. But then there's a river that makes the city glad. Of God, Elohim. The holy place where the Most High, El Elyon, dwells. God, Elohim, is within her. She will not fall. God, Elohim, will will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts His voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty, Yahweh Tzaba, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So we see this, trans- it goes from cosmic disorder, God is still there. Yeah. Now it goes to temporal, political, social disorder. And you just turn on the news and we see that. Yeah, the racial divide in our country... Although it is amazing how a storm has kind of taken that off the news. Amen. Instead of races fighting, races are helping with each other. Amen. Maybe that's why we needed it. Yeah. I don't know, kind of interesting to me. We think of the national, tur- national turmoil around the world, North Korea. Right? It's a little scary. What could happen? And yet, in this political disorder, God is order. God is there. It, it describes the two very interestingly. When it, when it talks about the nations, it says it's an uproar and they fall. When it talks about the place where God is, because God is there, it's something that will not fall. Amen. It actually brings gladness to the city. Which city do you want to be in? Right? You want to be wherever God is. <laughs> if God is there then it's going to be different. And just like in the first strophe, it describes God. The first element is God is our helper. He's not just an observer from the far. He actually helps. I think God actually helps mankind through mankind. As Walt shared. God helps through people. He's always done that. How did God help us with our salvation issue? Through a person, Jesus Christ. God is a helper. But it's amazing when we're in those storms, we're in that tragedy or those turmoils or that suffering, that's when we doubt it. 
God, where's your help? He's there. Because He's Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. And then we get this new idea. Not, a, not just a refuge anymore. Not just a place to go during the storm, but a place that stands firm in a storm, a fortress. I mean, if you were in uh, Florida right now, would you want to be in a shack or a fortress? Right? That's what God is. He's a fortress. So whether it's cosmic disorder, political disorder, Jehovah Shammah, God is there. And now we get to the final strophe, verse 8 through 11. Come and see what the Lord, Yahweh, has done. The desolations He has brought on the earth. Ooh, these, these are hard teachings right here. You brought it? You allowed it? He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God, Elohim. I will be exalted above the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty, Yahweh Tzaba, is with us. The God, Elohim, of Jacob is our fortress. So we go from this cosmic disorder to this temporal disorder to now an imperative. An imperative means a command. He's saying, yeah, guys, you think you can control these things. You can't. I'm in control. I'm there. Even in the storm. Even in the disorder. And so here's what my commands for you are. Come and see. Sounds very similar to what Jesus did when He first called His followers. He comes in Jerusalem, says, come and see. He didn't say right off the bat, come follow me. I know that's sometimes what we preach, but that's not actually the order of events. The first thing He asked is, come and see. And then when they saw, then He said, come follow me. And then when they followed, then He said, now come be with me. And as they already committed to follow, they said, remain in me. But come and see. See, that's what's so amazing. We can look at this time and go, where are you, God? And God's saying, I'm there. But you've got to come and see. See, I look at the Gulf Coast, and you can look at it from a temporal sense and go, where was God? Why would He allow this? Of course, I'm asking myself, why does He allow the hatred between races that several weeks before? And yet I see this storm come, and suddenly that's not on the media anymore, and it's race next to race helping humanity. He's there. But are you seeing it? Maybe we need more storms in our lives to make America great again. Right? And then it says, be still and know that I am God. So guys, when we're in those dark moments, those storms, we need to be in the refuge and just be still. And know that as long as we're in His refuge, we're going to be okay. Maybe our home will get washed away. Maybe we'll lose something. But we're going to be okay. Because the Lord is there. And just like the other two strophes, Jehovah Shammah can be trusted and it gives these descriptions of God. First one is peacemaker. Nations are in an uproar. Not His nation. This nation brings gladness to the city. Peace. That's what He brings. Then it says He's a victor. Other nations will fall. His will not fall. He's a victor. He's going to win in the end. 
And sometimes we think he's not winning now, so we think he's not going to win at all. But that's not true. He's already won. And last, again, just as in the second, he is our fortress because the Lord is there. See, many scholars believe that this psalm was written during the time of Hezekiah. This is when they were being attacked by the Syrians. And they should have lost. From looking from a human point, there was no way they should have survived. But God miraculously spared them. And they knew it. But just because God does it once doesn't guarantee He will do it again. We're not completely protected, always, from the storms of life. That's part of life. That timing was amazing. Wow. I did not plan that, in case you were wondering, you know. I, I, I did not set that up in advance, but that was cool. Everyone's okay. Like we said, you can't prevent it. Things happen. Right? But eventually what happened, even though they were spared, unfortunately Israel wasn't grateful. And they continued to sin in rebellion. Continued to pursue idolatry and worship other gods. And so finally God had to say, that's it. And they were taken off into captivity. But you know, it's amazing. The worst thing that happened, and we'll see this in the book of Ezekiel briefly, is not only did he then leave Jerusalem... But he left the temple itself. And the people thought that meant he's left us. But he's Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. But they weren't seeing something. So to give us an understanding of that, I got a short little clip from the Bible Project on Ezekiel. I'm not showing you the whole thing, but I want you to understand the context before we get to the name Jehovah Shammah. Let's watch the first clip. He goes on this virtual tour of the temple and he sees what's happening there in this absence and it is not In the outer courtyard, in front of the temple, he sees this large idol statue. And then he sees the elders of Israel worshiping other gods, both outside and inside. And then he sees the women of Israel. They're worshiping a Babylonian god named Tammuz. And the vision ends with God's glorious throne chariot moving up and away from the temple. Leaving, going east, headed towards Babylon. And so in chapter 11, we come to see why and how God's glory appeared to Ezekiel there in Babylon. Israel's idolatry and their covenant violations have become so blatant and offensive that God has left his temple. They've driven him away and he consigns it to destruction. But God hasn't abandoned his people. Rather, he goes into exile with them. And so at the end of this vision, chapter 11, God promises that He will return the remnant of Israel back to the land. And He'll transform them by removing their heart of stone and giving them a new, soft heart of flesh so that they can love and truly follow their God after all. This is a small glimmer of hope, and it's quickly submerged under the reality of the This was a disastrous moment for the Israelites. God left Jerusalem. He left the temple. They looked at us. He left us. Where are you when I need you most? But did you catch it? Did you see the incredible, powerful point? Did he leave them just for judgment? Did he leave them just as punishment? That was all part of it. But it actually said he left to go east to where? 
where they're not yet taken. In other words, God did not leave them, but He actually went to their future in advance of them. Think about that for a minute. Well, God, where are you? Maybe the point is, is you think God's not with you at that moment. No, He's still with you, but He's also in your future. Because He has a longer plan for you than just your present suffering. What an incredible point. And even as this book of Ezekiel shows, this was still happening while they were not yet all taken to captivity. And at the very end of Ezekiel, we're given this amazing vision, very similar to the end of Revelations. We're showing a new city and a new temple. Let's see that clip. This vision given even before they're taken in exile of the eventual hope in the future. Let's watch the next. So Ezekiel first gets this long, elaborate vision of a new temple and a new city. He's given this heavenly tour guide who shows him around the new temple complex, and it's much larger and more majestic than even Solomon's temple. There's a new altar, new priests, a whole new system of worship. And then after this elaborate tour, God's glorious throne chariot that he saw back in his first vision comes back, and it enters the new temple. Now, the meaning of these temple visions has been a source of debate for a long, long time. So some Christian and Jewish readers believe that this vision will be fulfilled literally one day, and that these chapters offer the actual blueprints of the new temple that will be built when the Messiah returns and brings God's kingdom. But many other Jewish and Christian readers think that this vision, like all of Ezekiel's other visions, is full of symbols, and they depict the reality of God's presence returning to his people in the Messianic kingdom, but not necessarily in the form of an actual building. Whichever view you take, it's important that Ezekiel never calls the city Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. In chapters 47 and 48, so far, Ezekiel sees this tiny stream pouring out of the temple threshold steps. And then it quickly becomes this raging river, and then it flows out of the temple and the city into the desert, into one of the most desolate places on planet Earth, the Dead Sea Valley. And then that river, it leaves behind it a trail of trees and life, and then the Dead Sea gets transformed into a living sea, this teeming with plants and animals. All of this imagery comes from the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 22. And we see just how cosmic Ezekiel's vision really is. God's plan has always been to restore all humanity and all creation back to his life-giving presence. And so the book ends with the name of this garden city, the Lord is there. Mm. And so Ezekiel's visions come to a close, full of hope for a new future. New humans living in a new world that's animated by God's life-giving spirit. It's a world permeated with God's love and justice. And that's what the book of Ezekiel is all about. He left only to return. See, that's what we don't realize is God is sovereign. When it says the Lord is there, He's not just talking about the Lord is there presently. The Lord is there in the future that is not even yet realized. He gave this vision even before they were completely taken into captivity. They're going, God, you left us, you left the temple. He's like, yeah, I did, because of your sin. But I'm going to where you're going to be. I will be in Babylonia in captivity with you. But I'm going to return, and here's a vision of it. How great is our God? The Lord is there. And so we see there at the very end of Ezekiel, chapter 48, verse 35, and the name of the city from that time on 
will be the Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah. Now, I know technically it's more a name for a city than God. But in Jewish understanding, the place where God resides is the same as God residing. So in other words, this name, though attributed to a city, because God's presence is so connected to it, it's also a name for God. Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. So when we see the name Jehovah Shammah, we're actually talking about a name that refers to a future place. Not just a present place. And see, the reality is, we often live our lives that way. We're often looking forward to some future event, either with anticipation or trepidation. With great excitement or great fear. I like how Leah Adams said it this way. So often you and I live our lives looking ahead to some event, some time in our lives, some potential disaster, some looming date. We may wonder what that date will bring to our lives or how we will survive it. Perhaps it's a doctor's appointment or a court date or your child leaving home or your mate passing away. It could be a new job, a divorce, or moving from a place that you have called home for many years. Whatever this future event is, it causes you to have a knot in the pit of your stomach every time you think about it. Be it real or imagined, the future occurrence causes you huge amounts of stress, angst, and anxiety. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, is there. God is already in your tomorrow. He already knows what your future looks like. And He has complete control of it. The Lord is there. You cannot be in your future now, but He can. You can't control the future events of your life, but He can. Jehovah Shammah will walk with you into whatever tomorrow holds because of His great love for you. God is there in your tomorrow and our tomorrow. He simply desires... That you trust his heart. Wow. That sounds great, theoretically. Theologically. But do we really feel it practically? Because see, we're in the middle of the storm, it's hard to think that way. God, where are you? He's there. But he's actually more than there, he's there. (laughs) He's at the the place you're going to be taken. He's gone ahead of you. Even if it's of your sin. He'll be there, ready, waiting, trying to help in any way that He can because that's who He is. I think this is an amazing concept, but how are we going to really believe it for ourselves? This is how you do it. By looking in your past and seeing when He was there. Because see, now we can see it in hindsight. Look back to your worst storms And then look a little beyond that worst storm, and what you'll start seeing is Jehovah Shammah. He was there. I didn't see it. I didn't always understand it, but He was there. And often as I look back at those sufferings, I don't feel toward God the way I did then. I'm more grateful. I'm more appreciative. I'm grateful when He spared me. I'm sometimes grateful when He didn't. I like it when He said yes, but sometimes I appreciate when He said no. I don't like to wait, but sometimes it was good I waited. 
And sometimes what he gave was not even something I expected, but that turned out better for me. The only way we're going to really appreciate Jehovah Shammah going forward is we got to believe he was there when we look backward. When I look at my life, there were so many moments like that. I remember when I was 13, I shared the story with some of you where I was almost died. I had a near-fatal accident that almost led to my death. Doctors couldn't understand it. And in that moment, I'm like, I'm 13, why God, where are you? Little did I know God was there. Because it was that very situation that eventually let me shift from soccer to running. Running that eventually got me the full-ride scholarship to the very school where I was invited to become a disciple of Jesus. I think even of my junior year of high school, we're moving again? I've been at four different high schools in three different states. God, where are you? How can you do this to me? Because God was there. He knew that I needed that fourth move because that fourth move made me arrive early to where I actually got to train with the team before school started. And on that team was actually a graduate who just happened to train with us that summer. There was no reason for her to be there. But we built a friendship during that time. Little did I know, because God was there, that a year later, as now I'm becoming a graduate, and I'm running my last high school meet, there's the girl at a school that then introduces me to the coach that offers me the full ride. God is there. Then there's more humorous ones. Like, for example, I baptized my teammate a week after my own baptism. And like all of us, we love being able to encourage our sisters. And so we went on dates, and he actually went on a date with Lee Ann Hooper. Okay? Fell in love. Let's just say Leanne didn't have reciprocal feelings. But he would not stop talking about it. I didn't even know who Leanne was. I was just like, okay, I, I, I could read it. I don't think she's into you, brother. But he wouldn't give up, and he kept putting up these pictures of six flags he had drawn of him, and swinging like Tarzan with her. You know, it was just crazy stuff. And, and finally one day I said, like, brother, you don't know what could happen. I could end up marrying her. No. The Lord is there. Right? Like, and he reminded me actually later when he found out, I was like, do you remember? I did say that. <laughs> I bet if you look back, you can find those moments where you thought God wasn't there. He was there, but most of them was there in the future. Because he had a greater plan, a greater purpose for your life. How incredible is that? So then when you think, okay, as we saw in the video, was that a literal promise? A figurative promise? It was actually both. It actually has been fulfilled. But not the way the Israelites thought it should be. They thought when the Lord's presence entered the temple again that it was going to be an actual physical temple with God's physical presence. Well, it was God's physical presence, and it did enter a physical temple. It was Jesus Christ. Because when you think of Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there or God is with us, what other name in the New Testament is the closest related to that? Emmanuel, God with us. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is in the flesh. Jehovah Shammah. 
God's presence literally entered the temple. And when He died, and He allowed His Spirit to come into us when we claim Him as Lord and we're baptized in His name, the Lord is there. He's there right now. We know from other passages like in Romans, it says the Spirit intercedes for us when we don't even know what to say. Think about that for a minute. Jehovah Shema. You're praying about right now. Oh, God, please help. I don't know what to say right now. And the Spirit's going, I know what you're going through right now, but hey God, can, you, can we go a little forward here? I know why you're doing this. I know why you're allowing this. So God, I pray that He'll be humble through this or she'll understand this or she'll be patient on you because God, I know where you're leading her. And so I'm going to pray about that because the Lord is already there. The Lord's in you. The Lord is there, both now and in your future. How cool is that? Ephesians 2, 19-22, I'll close out. Is God truly with us? Is He there and where is there? Because wherever there is, that's where I want to be. Ephesians 2, 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, a place where the Lord is. The Lord is in that temple. And in Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. The Lord is there. Where? First, He's in a new nation. Not one that's in uproar. Not that one that hates each other because they're different. He's in a nation that will not fall. He's in a place where gladness comes to the city. That's where He is. Where else is He? He's in a new household. That's where God is. But I have a broken household. Yeah, maybe you do. But that's not how God's household should be. And yes, we're going to sin against each other and it's going to sometimes look like we're not a very good household. But we need to repent. We need to confess. We need to forgive. We need to be who we need to be because God is there. And then it says, He's in a new temple. It's not a building of stone. It's us. The Lord is there. Look! The Lord is there. Wait, wait, no, wait, the Lord is... No, the, Lord, the Lord is there. Look around, guys, the Lord is there. He's there now, and He's there in each of your futures. In each of our futures. So maybe the storm He's allowing now is because that's what's needed to get us to the future He has in mind. But if we resist and we don't trust Him, and we try to take care of the problems ourselves, help ourselves, we may miss out on the future where He is, and we'll end up ending a place that He's not. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, is there. As we take communion, let us appreciate that that promise of Ezekiel has been fulfilled. He has His presence among us. The Lord is there, past, present, and even our future. I believe if we really get this name, if we really understand it, then other people will see it in our lives. I pray that this week and from now on, when people look at you, when they look at our church, when they look at our small group, when they look at our family or our household or our job or our school place, our neighborhood, or just even your quiet little room, that they're going to look and go, look, 
Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, we are so amazed in Your incredible love for us that even in our rebellion like the Israelites, You didn't leave just to discipline, just to punish, but You left to actually go where we're headed in the hopes of bringing us back. But God, we cannot help ourselves. When the storms come, we are not strong enough. Our views, our ideas, they will fall, but Yours will not. And if we'll simply be still and see You, how You work through Your Word, through Your Spirit, through Your church, and most importantly, through Jesus Christ and what He accomplished on the cross. What's amazing is that Jesus had to experience something you don't even want us to experience. You're with us all the time. But that moment on the cross, you could not be there for Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Help us to be sobered and humbled of what Jesus was willing to do to allow to not have your presence so that we could always have your presence. Help us to be that city, a city that brings gladness to all who are in it and around it. I pray as people look at our lives, they're going to see Jesus. They're going to see Jehovah Shammah, that you are there. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we do everything right. But we admit when we're wrong. We humble out. We repent. And we keep our eyes on Jesus. Jehovah Shammah, Emmanuel. It's in His name we pray. Amen.